0: So, Lord, on this December 1st, we recognize that we feel ready for Christmas. Some of us have had our trees up for a while. The Christmas music is playing. We've bought a lot of gifts, or we are planning them out. But more than that, we are ready for happiness We are ready for joy. We are ready for wholeness and peace and relationship. But we know that the best things do not come quickly. And the best things don't show up under a tree. It's even hard to sing songs about the best things, it's hard to decorate appropriately for the really, really best things. And so we confess that sometimes, even in our longing for the best things, we choose to be distracted rather than wait. And so we arrive on this first Sunday of Advent, ready for something to change, but you call us to wait. And we confess that's not the thing that we enjoy. And yet we, we want to trust you. We want to listen to you. And we do want to wait for you. Because you, Lord, and the gifts that you offer are far better than what we can make happen on our own. So in this season Of waiting. We ask that you would purify our hearts, our longings, and our desires so that we want nothing less than the very best gifts of your healing and your presence. In our waiting, Holy One, make us ready for you. We ask this in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ, amen.
1: Well, I would like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, and I would also like to invite you to turn your Bibles, maybe after you put your thumb in Isaiah chapter 2, to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to be reading both the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, lectionary text for us this evening. By the way, my name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I just love this church. It is the first Sunday in the season of Advent, a season of anticipation, a season of hope. And what we long to do, or what we long for in Advent, is we long for our healing. You've already heard those themes. It's also, uh, it's also Family Worship Sunday, which means that our kids are among us. They serve uh, alongside our adults here in worship. And so uh, be comfortable as our kids are here with us. But I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. And I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Usually I read from uh, the New Living Translation, but this evening I'll be reading from the New International Version. So hear the, word, hear the word of the Lord for us this evening on the first Sunday of Advent. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos. Saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 36. Hear the word of the Lord from the New Testament. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be, at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on the day, on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him, this is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as I've said, today is the first Sunday in the season of Advent. Some call this the beginning of a new year. As Pastor McHale reminded us, some people, what they do is they, they skip right over Advent into, onto the main event, which is Christmas. Yeah, Hey, we have people, I'm one of these, that just warming up. I mean, houses get decorated, catalogs have been delivered. There are, do people receive catalogs anymore? Catalogs have been delivered, ads are splashed all over social media, families are making plans, but frankly, Christmas isn't here. That's a fact, so let's not fool ourselves. This is clearly not Christmas, and we have got... A mess on our hands. Go ahead, ask me, ask me how bad it is. Go ahead. (laughs) It's bad, everyone. It's bad. As a nation, we are fighting battles on multiple fronts. For nearly two decades, we have been in a war. It's a war that has been going on for more years than my kids have been alive. It's a war that now that the kids who are enlisting and fighting in cannot even remember the events of 9-11. They weren't even born. But it's not just overseas that we're fighting battles. We're fighting battles here at home. These are political battles. These are ideological, racial, economic, and religious battles. Go ahead. Ask me. It's bad, everybody, I'm telling you. We are a violent nation. Guns, a global environmental crisis. We execute innocent people. People of color still continue to feel targeted. Our criminal justice uh, system throws away minorities. We throw away the poor. We throw away the mentally disabled. Our police officers feel that they have to patrol our streets with military grade armor because there's this threat of being ambushed by their own countrymen and countrywomen. And yet, at the same time, our citizens feel the need to equip themselves in the same way. Go ahead, ask me. It, it's bad. Our foster care system cannot handle all the needs that we have for the children in our area. College graduates, many, uh, many who carry a mortgage worth of debt, are struggling to find work. We've been through a horrific political fiasco. Impeachment hearings, lies, backstabbing, greed, power, control, hatred, and mistrust is demonstrated on both sides of the party line they say that the 20th century was the most violent in human history only to be outdone by the 21st century it's bad you know the uh the context of isaiah of jerusalem was not much different than it is here in our context orphans were not taken care of widows went without the rich kept getting richer and the poor get kept getting poorer They were involved in battles on multiple fronts, including international disputes. The advancement of technology and the misuse of it back then was in full tilt. They were making progress in terms of agriculture, but it also meant that uh, there needed to be some sort of an advanced strategy for national security. So folks, in order to build up the military, folks were taxed until they went broke. There were shady deals, promises not kept, arms trading. And it's into this space that Isaiah's beautiful Advent poem is jammed. I mean, he jams it right into the middle of this context. It's a time in history that's so much like ours, politically and sociologically, economically, and even it's a religious mess back then. But here's Isaiah's poem, and his poem is rooted in this Place in this part of human history, and it's rooted in a location. It's Jerusalem, Judah, it's Zion. And reading Isaiah during this time, when things are bad, when, you know, as we read it right now, when things are bad, it's like, sort of like traveling through Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And the reading of Matthew is no different. Just when you think that you've got it figured out... Just when you think that you know which side is up and which side is down, the text actually takes and kind of twists on you. It does a twist and a turn, and the text inserts itself into this space where now we're disoriented as the readers, and and we feel all kind of upside down and backwards. We feel this way and that. Because there, in that time and in that place, in that mess you hear that Isaiah hears a word from God so brilliantly clear that he can see it. Now, I don't know if you understood that part. You should have gasped there. He he hears a word from God that's so brilliantly clear that he can see it. The way the original Hebrew says it is this. Isaiah saw a word from the Lord. I don't know if you know this, but you don't see words. It would have made more sense for the text to say that Isaiah heard a word from the Lord, but it doesn't. It clearly says that Isaiah saw a word from the Lord. Now, I don't know if you think that's strange, but I think that's strange. And the strangeness continues to move on. Not only did he see a word from the Lord, but he also saw that there would be this mountain. It's called Mount Zion, and and it would stand taller than any other mountain. Now, there's a real place called Mount Zion. The temple of the Lord was built there. It's the mountain of the Hebrew God, but frankly, it's not that high. There are other mountains that actually peer down upon it. I mean, there are other mountain peaks that are higher than Mount Zion. Mount Zion is rather low, but Isaiah says that everyone will notice that mountain and they will worship the God on high who reigns from it. It doesn't make a lot of sense in our world. When we want something big to be done, we don't go to the guy who's making minimum wage at the 7-Eleven. We, when we want something big to be done, we go to the person with deep pockets you know, the person with connections, people who are in high places is what we say. If you really want to get something really big done, you go you go to the guy who works or the woman who works at the top, the, the top floor of the Devon Tower. You go to the person who works at the top of the Willis Tower in Chicago. You go to the person who works at the top of the Trump Tower. That's how things work in the real world. But now, in this image, people are not going to the tallest place. They're going to the one that becomes the tallest because it is the one from where the Lord God on high reigns. That seems kind of strange. But it continues to go on because then the people... the people, it's It's weird because the people will say people of all languages and all nations, they'll say together, let's go up to God's mountain. Now, the original language says they will stream up to the mountain. Again, strange things are happening. Um, I, I want to like put a pause there and say, wait, I, I don't know if you notice this, but streams don't go up mountains. They go down mountains, under, and even through mountains, but they never go up mountains. And I think Isaiah is using a literary trick here. Things that we thought, like we thought they were, aren't what we thought. Because then something amazing happens. All the people will come together. Have you ever seen that happen, ever? anybody groups of people agree on anything? Here the people come together and God will be the one to teach them all. He will settle their disputes. He'll preside over their court cases. He'll be the arbitrator for their international uh, differences. He will teach them his way. He will show them how they actually can live together. I got a mind blow here. I mean, what? The reason that we have to have human judges and the reason human judges are appointed is because people do not get along and Human judges keep people from stealing and murdering one another. But Isaiah's vision is different. He lets us know that it is there in that space that God will begin something by putting an end to everything. In Isaiah's day, the world was bad. How bad do you ask? I mean, it is so bad that Isaiah goes apocalyptic. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke about this day whereby there would be a messianic figure that would come and they would lead the people of God out of their oppressive state. And they called it the day of the Lord. Now, early disciples of Jesus, early disciples in the Christian church believed that the day of the Lord would be the day when Christ would come again. The Apostles' Creed, which is older than some parts of our Bible, say that we believe he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, this part of the Creed, I will confess to you, always makes me a little bit nervous. Apocalyptic, you know, you need to know, apocalyptic isn't just a prediction about the future. It's not just about what will happen tomorrow. It is actually just as much a claim about today. In fact, it's commentary about the time and the place, the world in which we live now. And apocalyptic means that God's future, God's plan for the world, what God wants for the world, God is going to get regardless of what we say or we do. When Isaiah, the prophet of God, Here's the vision, he makes a declaration. But it's not just a declaration out to whoever. He actually is super purposeful of who he speaks to. He makes a declaration to the king. He goes to the generals, to the politicians, and to the business leaders of his day. And he says, there will be a day when all of this, it ends. Think about how crazy this is. No one, no one would do this. I mean, it would be crazy if one of our political candidates that we have now that we see on TV every day stands up and they read this Isaiah poem during a debate over how to handle international disputes or decide on military spending. That would be crazy. That would never happen. It would be crazy if it would have been crazy if one of the people in the situation room suggested this. This method for a military strategy before the assassination of bin Laden. It would be crazy if one of the stockholders of an oil company actually stood with a microphone and read this aloud in North Dakota right before engineers started digging to put in a pipeline. But This is exactly what Isaiah does. He inserts himself right here, and he stands up in front of all the powerful people, all the ones who are living in the world as it is, and he declares that there will be an end to all of this. And Isaiah's reading is not just for his day. Isaiah's reading is for ours. Because Isaiah's vision includes all, and it begins now. And it reaches to the very ends of time. We call this the day of the Lord. We call this the day of all ends. In the gospel of Matthew, those who are following Jesus ask when the day of the Lord will take place for them. They were under Roman rule, oppressed on every side. And you know what Jesus does? He goes apocalyptic of the exact day or the exact hour? Well, of course, nobody knows that. Not even the heaven's angels, not even the Son. Only the Father knows. And then he speaks about that day. The arrival of the Son of Man will take place in the times of Noah. People are marrying. They're hanging out. They're being together. They didn't even know it was going to happen until the flood hit and it swept everything away. And the son of man's arrival will be like that. The day of the Lord will be like that. It'll be like two people who are working in the field, going about their business. One man will be taken, the other will stand. standing. There will be like two women grinding at the mill. All of a sudden, one will be standing there, and the other will be taken. So he says, you got to stay awake. You got to be alert. You have no idea what day your master will show up. A text like these, I will tell you, text like these as a young person terrified me. As a 42-year-old person, they terrify me now. When Jesus goes apocalyptic, he doesn't hold back. The world, as you knew it and as you know it, will be wiped away. In fact, in in one part of the New Testament, Mark chapter 13, he he says to his disciples, hey, take a look around. Take a look around. See these things, these things that, that you think that will last forever, And then he points over to the temple of God. See that temple, for example? It looks so firm and so stable. It looks like it will be here forever, but it won't. This world, this life, it's not firm. It's not going to be the way it is. This is judgmental. And Jesus, you know... At Jesus that is judgmental makes me uncomfortable. I already told you that. And Jesus says, on the day of the Lord, when the Messiah comes to judge you, you, you know, when he comes to judge, you'll find that this world is precarious. It's it's fragile. It's moving along, Jesus says. The solid footing that you felt like you had, no more. There's going to be an ending. Jesus looks at the temple, says to his disciples, yep, In the coming of the Son, judgment will happen, and God is going to dismantle all of this. How does this message make you feel? It doesn't make me feel great. I mean, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It sounds pretty harsh. It's a day of endings, We can hear it in Isaiah's voice. We also can hear it in Jesus' voice. And to be honest, we get a little bit rattled. The things that we thought we could count on, we can't. Welcome to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Only it's not the candy man. It's an almighty God who's about ready to take you on this ride. Judgment texts always produce a little bit of anxiety. They always give me a little bit of anxiety. We like a God that is in the construction business. But how do we feel about a God that is in the dismantling business? We like a God that makes, you know, that makes things and starts things. But what about a God that is destructive? What about this God that ends things? How, how about that? When I was a kid, I would hear preachers go apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. I would I remember hearing them describe the end of my life uh, like there you know at the day of my death there'd be like this giant movie theater screen that uh, all of my life's activities would be played for creation to see there'd be every adolescent urge every impression there'd be every word said everybody could see all of the temptation and then after that played for a little while all of creation would watch as I'd be judged for what I had done. But let me just tell you, I don't think that's a biblical theology of judgment or a good theology of judgment at all. Instead, I think that we need to lean on the prophets like Isaiah. And we need to look into our own context and our own world in order to attempt to interpret Jesus' words here a favorite author of mine told a story of going to Honduras to work on a short-term mission trip. And one evening after the work, they were all sitting around the fire when somebody suggested that each person tell their favorite Bible verse. And, well, he said that that always made him nervous because he thought somebody was going to be a smart aleck and say, you know, Jesus wept or something like that. But there was one of the women there who, uh, who said to them, a Honduran woman, who said to them in, in Spanish, my favorite verse is from Luke. I have come forth to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. And she said, this brings me such comfort. Well, he thought, uh, that's a strange favorite text. Uh, Certainly the translator, the person who was translating for us out of Spanish into English, must have misunderstood. And of course, he felt confused until the woman continued, I have had five children, and three of them have died of starvation. And this world as it is, I am sick of it. And that's when he said, oh, I get it. I have a friend who posted on his Facebook wall this week, hey, 2019, I know I said you could stay for a year, but I, don't know, I didn't know you were bringing cancer, stress, anxiety, depression, financial strain, and now trauma with you. So sorry, folks, I'm going to cancel the rest of 2019. Some people refer to the first Sunday of Advent as the beginning of something new. But others, and maybe even those who hope, say, no, it's the beginning of the end. And I think this is how we are to understand the judgment of God in Isaiah and in Matthew. We need to see that it's layered, that it's nuanced, that it's multifaceted, that it's scary, but in the end, it is actually for our good. One woman I know said, after I lost my husband, I thought my life was over. But by the grace of God, I'm beginning to wonder, could, could endings be new beginnings? And for some, beginnings are good news, but for others, it, it is the end that is good news. And I guess it, it's all a matter of perspective and where you stand. Isaiah's vision is one whereby things begin in God, but it is also one by whereby things end in God. And what if the judgment of God in Jesus that comes on the day of the Lord means that there is one last cosmic cry that says, enough is enough. This is the end. No more mothers in impoverished areas will try to nurse their children even though the milk has run dry. What if it means that not another girl will be trafficked? What if the day of the Lord and the God's judgment means that God is saying, not another electricity bill will go unpaid. Not another eye will be bruised by a fist. Not another corporation will ravage the land for profits. Not another young person will be shot. What if this is what God's judgment is? What if that is what the end looks like? And Isaiah yells out in poetic form that the world that we know it and how we know it is soon to be over, and this could be good for us. In fact, the tools that tear down this world will be melted, they'll be rebranded, and they'll be used as tools to build others up. The normal world of these things like weapons of war, instruments designed for killing, in the day of the Lord, they will no longer be needed. Instead, because he has made things right, people will take those old weapons and turn them into instruments for healing, for food, for community building. The image in Isaiah is, it's a garden. Wouldn't that be a strange and also a wonderful thing? You know, swords that hack and cut and destroy and intimidate, no, not on the day of the Lord. They will be crafted, into plowshares that cultivate a garden of plenty, a garden of harmony, a garden that provides for all. Do you know what we call that? Healing. In Advent, we pray along with the early church that prayed regularly, Christ, come quickly. We sing, come thou long-expected Jesus. And Isaiah's image is a foreshadowing. It's a prophecy that the coming of Christ is about our healing, and it is about the healing of the world, and it will come. We live in a time between Isaiah and the day of the Lord, and so we wait But Advent is that season that calls us not just to wait, it actually calls us to practice walking into Isaiah's vision. That's why I think he says, come now. Come now. Let us walk in the way and the light of the Lord. My old, one of my old professors in seminary said that in the early church, the first Christians lived with such anticipation of the day of the Lord that they would say, you know, we're about ready to turn this corner. And maybe if we turn this corner, Jesus will be there. Well, Matthew says that someday Jesus may appear, he will appear in the clouds. But until that time, we know this for sure, that Jesus will appear around the cord- corner suddenly and he'll look like a hungry person or a neighbor in need or someone who is sick or someone who is in prison that we need to visit. He'll show up in every space as we go about our everyday activities. And the healing that we hope for is the healing that we get to practice as we do our part in partnering with God to turn this world upside down. As the church, this is our ministry, and this is our vocation. We get to lean way over the edge. We get to declare that the day of the Lord is coming, and we get to practice living into the vision of Isaiah. It is really crazy, but there are some people who are actually doing that right now. Uh, at, At The Simple Way, Shane Claiborne and Michael Martin live in a neighborhood that is ravaged by gun violence. So they started melting down machine guns and handguns and started pounding them into art pieces to use and to use as farm implements in their community gardens. I think I got a couple of pictures of this. They're melting down guns so that they can provide for people. Wherever you go... And Christians are there. You will see Isaiah's vision being lived out. I don't know if you know this, but today is our fourth anniversary as a church. It has something to be celebrated. We've been a church for four years, and over the last four years, I've seen you do these kinds of things. I have seen you live into Isaiah's visions. You who are teachers, who are Christian, every time you pay for something out of your own pocket for the sake of your students even though it might cost you, you are living into Isaiah's vision. You social workers, psychologists, mental health professionals, every time you sit with someone, make room for them, hear their story, wishing that they did not have to endure the hardship that they face, you are living into Isaiah's vision. You artists, every time you write or draw or paint or sculpt or make music, you are actually fashioning a way for others to imagine the vision of Isaiah. For you business leaders, every time you give a job to someone in need, you are giving that person life because we all know a job is more than food and clothing and shelter. It is a job actually gives dignity and you are living into Isaiah's vision. You who are in the military, you who love God and are spirit-filled while you serve the country, you do not walk in each day with your allegiance to the same old ways of life. You are walking into some of the darkest and most dangerous places as peacemakers. And you are not armed with anything but truth and righteousness, faith and Salvation, hope, and healing. These are more than words. You actually, you serve because you hold in the very word of God, the vision of Isaiah in your bodies. My friends, this is what judgment is. This is what we hope for. The day of the Lord, where in him everything will end. This is why we anticipate Christmas. It's not here yet, but we can say this, that, hey, he is on his way. So uh, Jesus practiced Isaiah's vision, and he did so at a dinner table. You know, his table is the place where wars stop. Did you know that? It's There's no wars here. It's, it's the place where food is grown uh, in his garden, and it's offered to us to sustain us. His table is a vision of God's future in real time. It's a picture of what the day of the Lord will be. And at this table, Jesus goes apocalyptic. And God's vision is about another kind of reality in which natural enemies become playmates and friends and brothers and sisters. That's what happens at this table. And if that is what you long for, is that, if that is what you want to see in the work of Jesus, you are invited to this table. It is at this table where we come under the lordship of Christ and our journey down these aisles to this table is like, is like a stream up to the mountain of God. We, uh, we observe an open table here, which means that you don't need to be a member of the church of the Nazarene. In fact, you don't have to be a member of any denomination. You don't have to be Jewish or white or rich to come to this table. You don't have to be wealthy or pretty or athletic. You simply have to be open to hope. Open to hope that is extended to you by the grace of God in Christ. I want to let you know at this table, there are no need for weapons here. At this table, you get to put down your weapons. At this table, you will be served. And maybe you will even be served by someone who has done you wrong. But even that can be made right here at this table. This table is for community building. It's not for community dividing. And while Isaiah uses a poem to speak to the new reality, that is God, Jesus uses a meal to speak to the same reality. So I want to remind you that Jesus on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, at dinner took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then, in the same way, after supper, he held up the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant that comes in my blood. And whenever you drink it, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. All who long for this hope of God in Christ are welcome to this table. At this table, the playing field is level. At this table, his freedom is felt. At this table, his justice is real. At this table, his healing is extended to you. Everyone who is open to believe in the good work that he provides and that he offers is welcome to receive. That is wanting to receive the grace that comes from God. You are welcome to this table. It's here where we live and practice the vision of Isaiah, and is here where new life begins in us. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic. But I invite you to come down our aisle with with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion here. We receive it because what God has to offer in Christ is a gift to us. If for any reason you're unable to come down our aisle, wave at Justin. He'd love to come serve you, bring the elements to you. But friends who are longing for healing, who need hope, you are are welcome to come to this table. I invite you now.